Morning. So we are getting that. I've got someone that mover and just to learn that the president is in town. So we were all told to stop until the president passes. So I started to send messages and uh, and <laughs> Then I realized the only men and women here was all of those I sent messages to. None of them read it. I think they are church and they respect uh, God. <laughs> so suddenly, and you know, they were really tough. Um, thank you very much again to have me here. This is my last Sunday. Like I did mention last Sunday, uh, your able elders. I invited me to come over and preach uh, from Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through to 23. Uh, last Sunday we looked at uh, verses um, 13 and 14. 13 and 14. And those of us who are here, uh, we looked at uh, what God has done, who is the deliverer. Basically, I had simple questions to help us understand and also to make it easier for me uh, to preach um, that, that God has delivered us. Our God is a deliverer, and he has not just delivered us, but he has delivered us from the power of darkness, meaning there is a power out there. There, there, is, there is a life which is real which is full of darkness, which is full of sin, which is full of, one would say, destruction. And he has conveyed us. He has translated us. He has transplanted us. He has uprooted us. He has conveyed us. He has not transformed us. He has transplanted us. From the kingdom of darkness, from the powers of darkness, into, according to the scriptures, the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's what God has done. And how has He done it? He has done it through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, you can't see the devil there. All we are seeing of the work of redemption, it's a transaction between God the Father and God the Son. The devil is not in place. It's God the Father delivering a people. And how does he deliver? It's God the Son who redeems us through his death, and that's what we read, through his blood, so that we receive the forgiveness of sins. There is no such a sweet thing than having your sins forgiven. And when God forgives your sins and my sins, he truly forgives. And he treats you like one who has never sinned before because of what the Son has done. He has met all the requirements needed for you and for me to have our sins forgiven. 
Today, I want us to look at verse 15 through 23, a long passage of scripture, but I'll shorten it under four headings. Let's read together Colossians and chapter 1. We'll commence our reading from verse 13 up to verse 23. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption to his blood and the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, and that in heaven and that on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or upheld. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all things, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, the Colossians, you, the Colossians, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. I like the way the Apostle Paul ends this passage of scripture. And he says, of which I, Paul, have become minister. My dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, listen. The message that I have this morning, I was talking to the one who was just leading us in songs and said, you know what, when I read through this passage of scripture, then I realized what God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The question that comes to my mind is this. And that is the great question. And that's the only question that I have. This morning. Last Sunday I had four questions. So it five or so. This Sunday I have only one question. So that just in case you forget. At least you won't forget. Just like my name. I'm Kawe. M. Kawe. My first name is Kawe. My surname is Kawe. If you forget the first name. Remember the second name. But if you forget the second name then I can't help you because there's only one name. So today, 
There's somebody who always has, tells me, you have not talked about Mporokoso. Today, I have one question. Listen, brothers and sisters. We have had men and women live here on earth. Great men, great women, who have changed even the thinking, the lifestyle. You can mention great men. I can, we, we can just go into it. I didn't do history when I was in secondary school, but at least there were people like the Neros, the Caesars, the Napoleons, great artists like the Michelangelo. You can think of great men like the Stalin. You can think of great men like those guys they look up to in the USA. These are the ones who change the course of the nation. We can think of great men in our own country. The President Counters. Oh yeah, we can go on and on. But let me tell you this. There has never ever lived a man under the sun to whom you can compare the Lord Jesus Christ. You can think of anyone they change for a season. The Michael Jackson are uh, here now. There's the John Bieber's. Uh, you can mention all kinds of names, young people. There's no man you can compare to this man called Jesus Christ. And what I want to do this morning is simply to ask the question, who is this man? That's the question. Who is this Man who is able to save, to redeem, if it were possible, the whole world. Who is this man who has changed the course of world history? In, in the olden days, this is the way calendars were being. Applied. In the year King Uziah died. In the year of King Augustus. In the year of whatever. There came a man who changed everything. Today you speak of BC and AD. Amen. The whole world. The calendar. The history of the world is before Christ. Or after Christ. A.D. Anno Domino. The year of the Lord. Who is this man? That's the question. And I want to show you why he is able to save. Why he is able to redeem you and to redeem me and to change your life. Who is this man? That's the question I have. Please, if you forget everything, just hear, who is this man? And what I want to do is to run through this passage of scripture and show you why Jesus Christ is able to save, to redeem. Who is this man? Now, to help me answer that question, I have basically four headings under which I'll be asking the question, 
who is this man? First, in relation to who he is. And that's what I'm going to look at in verse 15. Secondly, in relation to what he has done. That's what we're going to look at in verse 16. In relation to his power and position in the world. That's what we are going to look at from verse 17 to 19. And in relation to his work and mission. That's what we are going to look at from verse 20 to 22. Who is this You know, the members say, Abba ume, Papa ume. Abba ume, Papa You know, be careful with members. I'm member. Be careful. They know how to speak. They know how to manipulate people with what they say. Abba ume, Papa You remember that woman who basically, the Samaritan, when she went out into, the, into Samaria and says, Come, I found a man. She went to the man who had abused her for years. She was married five times or so, men abusing her. But when she met Jesus Christ, as she went into Samaria, she went to the man. I have found a man. Nasanga, who is this man? That's the question I have this morning. Listen, who is this man in relation to who he is? Read with me verse 50. This is the reason he's able to save you and to save me. Who is this man? He is the image of the invisible God. No wonder he has changed the course of this world. No wonder he's able to save you. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, wait a minute. I wish I had time. Uh, and if you have a Bible today, I'm turning to a number of scriptures so that the scriptures will speak to you. Listen. This man, we are told, is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. God is spirit. You can't see God. In fact, my Bible tells me no one can see God and live. I believe if you don't believe that, it's okay. We can talk. We'll never see God even in heaven. We're going to see Jesus Christ. Because he cannot change his form. And this is why Jesus Christ came when you say that the image is the manifestation of God. In other words, turn with me to first John, John chapter 1. Just to help you and me, I would have quickly just uh, quoted that verse, but so that at least you remain some with scriptures. In John chapter 1, and I'm reading verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. Who is this man? No one has seen God at any time. No one. Aveni Moses just saw something. No one. He may manifest himself in some kind of a form, but just that a form. But my Bible tells me, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him to us. He has made him known to us. Why? 
Turn just a few pages on your right, chapter 14 and verse 8 of the same book of John. Why? Listen, who is this man? And I'm asking myself this question because it's a very important question. We read together there in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And in fact, I went to Philip. You know, because to be Philip. Just as you enter Show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. And this is the way Jesus answers. Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen who? The Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else Believe me for the sake of the works. Who is this man? He is the image of the invisible God. What, sim- what that simply means, if you turn your, your, your Bible to chapter 1 of John, what, what Jesus is simply, or Paul is simply saying that Jesus Christ is God man. Amen? Who is this man? He is God. In the beginning, the word was in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 14. And the word became what? Flesh. And dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is this man in relation to who he is? My answer, young people listen, my answer is Jesus Christ is God. So when you read there the image, it does not necessarily mean it's just an image. What it simply means there, he is the manifestation of God. Who is this man? He is the very God. This Jesus Christ, whose name we, 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 we take so lightly. This Jesus Christ, who, who many a time people are busy, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. He is God. I mean, from today, start to have a different picture of who this man is. He is the very image of Yahweh. He is the very manifestation of Jehovah. 
He is the one who has presented to us the full glory of God. You don't have to ask like Philip, show us the Father. Who is this man? The last text, and then I move on to my second observation. Hebrews chapter 1, a famous passage of scripture, and a number of us read that. In Hebrews chapter 1, you read the verse 3. Who is this man? Who being the brightness of his glory, the Father, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin. He is the very manifestation of God the Father. Who is this man? No wonder is able to redeem. He is God. Secondly, notice with me, who is this man in relation to what he has done? Verse 16. Who is this man? We are told there in verse 16, for by him all things were created. And that in heaven, that are on earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Who is this man? He is the creator of all things. He is the creator of all things. He's not just a creator of all things. All things were created through him. It's not that he created things and they were all created through him. All things were created for him. There where you're seated. Here where I'm standing. You are a creation of this man. He has the power over your life. If, if he so wishes, as we go out from here this morning, he can simply say, your time is up. He created all things. They were created through him. And they were created for him. Who is this man? I love the way John not just Paul, puts it, the very text that we read, in John chapter 1, verse 3, John says, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Pamunina, this Jesus Christ is the creator. He's not just the manifestation of God, the Father. He also created you. He created me. He created everything. 
Now, maybe you have not seen what he has created. Things that are on earth, in heaven. Invisible things which we are busy trying to discover. Visible things. He has created thrones. He has created dominions. He has created principalities and powers, meaning all these things are under him and save him. Who is this man? How I wish you and I would see Jesus Christ from this perspective. No wonder in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He is able because he created you. He created me. And everything we see. Who is this man? You know, this is so sweet. If you can't see it, you are not a child of God. To know the sweetness that is found in knowing that Jesus Christ created you. And he created you for himself. So to live without him is to live under the power of darkness. Is to live a life that is lifeless. Is to live a life that has no meaning because you were created for him. And this is why you and I should quickly rush to him. It may not make sense, but that's what it is all about. Who is this man who has created all things and all powers? May I say he is the creator. And for me, that is enough. And this is why you and I should constantly go to him in whichever situation we find ourselves, because he is the creator. And everything was created through him and for him. Paul, Paul is not just speaking this way. He is intentional. That you see that he is. He created all things. But who is this man? In terms of, in relation to his power and his position. Who is this man? In verse 17, you start to see now. No wonder he's the savior of the world. Who is this man? In relation to his power and position. Let me just show you in relation to his power. Verse 17. And he is before all things. He is before all things, which simply means he is before all creation, which simply means he is outside everything created, which simply means if you want to get the picture very well there, turn to John chapter 1. There John simplifies that statement that is before all things. What John simply says in 
John chapter 1 verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Meaning, he's before all things which were created. In John chapter 17. Now, this is again in the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. After he had finished everything he was assigned to do here on earth. And listen how he prays to the Father in John 17 verse 5. Because I, I, I am before all things. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. So when, when Paul says he's before all things, he's simply saying he is above all things. So who is this man who is above all things? He is the savior of the world. Now, let me just say something. You know, again, I'm member, so I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to anyone who is listening who is not part of us. You know, when you hear statements, again, of, uh, I don't know, you have in this this is a person who makes things to happen who makes life to have a meaning so without this person in humility I would say if Christ is not in your life if Christ is not there because he is before all things Nishumuntu. Richard. Nishumuntu in Ingwe. It's before all things. So you may post with all your riches. You may post with all your healthy. You may post with all your material possession. If Christ is not there, He He's before. He was. Now listen, maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't seen it, but the second part of that verse, he tells us, and in him all things consist. In him all things exist. In him he upholds and keeps all things. He holds all things. So without Christ, this is why he's able to save. Brethren, let's lift this mind. Let's have Christ above all things. Because in him, all things exist. In him, he upholds everything. Brethren, who is this man? Listen, in relation to what he has done, verse 18, who is this man? And Paul says, and he is, he is 
the head of the body, the church. He's speaking of not just the position, but also the power. He rules. He governs. And I'm here, I want to speak from my heart as somebody who has been pastor at a single look at the church there we have been for the past several years. I'm going to 26 years at one church. I'm speaking from personal experience. Praise me. He is the head of the church. Of all the things mentioned here, the church. There is no institution under the sun that is so close to his heart, the church. This community of believers. If you didn't know, let me tell you today, the world is still existing. This world will be chaos and everything, but this world will still exist and human beings will continue living as long as the church is still on earth. Did you know that? Did you know that? Governments go, governments come. The church. And I wonder, I'm speaking from personal experience. You have these church members who have no regard for the church of Jesus Christ. And yet you go early in the morning, 6.45, and others commute 04 for, for that institution because of what you are getting. And then come the church, the head of the church. Change your mind on the church. This is the only institution under the sun which brings joy to the heart of Jesus Christ. It's the church. It's you and me, uh, the community of those who are redeemed. The one he has redeemed. They're so close to his heart. And he is the head. He manages the church. This kind of loose association with the church. This kind of looking down on the church. Yes, it's not a perfect church. But that is his church. Like I'll show you. He's working in and through his church to perfect it. That the day you present it before the Father, it will be perfect. He is the head of the church. The whole world. The whole world. Without knowing. Depends on the presence of the church. The day Christ will come and take his church. That will be the end of the world. Did you know that? It's not any world war. It's, it's, it's not coronavirus. It's not whatever. The day Christ will come and take his church, that will be the end of what? The world in Shiva. If you are here not a Christian, you must believe. Turn to Christ if you want to live beyond the grave and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And quickly, if you're a Christian and you don't belong to any local church, quickly after this sermon, apply for membership here. I want to belong to this community. It is so close to the heart of Jesus Christ. Respect the church. Love the church. He is the head of the church. He's not the head of governments. In fact, he has told you that 
all powers, principalities, dominions. They were all created through him and they are for him. They serve him. But above all these things, the church. Who is this man? In relation to his position, listen to chapter 8, verse 18, and the latter part. And my Bible says, who is the beginning? Who is the firstborn from the dead? Who is this man? When you read the word firstborn, I wish I had time if it were in a Bible study, I would have spent some time here. The word firstborn does not necessarily mean firstborn. In this particular context, he's saying firstborn, he is the first one to die, to resurrect, and to live forever. Remember, Lazarus came out of the grave. Lazarus is in the grave somewhere rotten. There were so many people who rose from the dead when Christ died. If you've read your Bible, where they they have died. He is the firstborn, the first of all creation to die, to rise from the dead, and to live forever. So that's how you understand he's the firstborn. He is the firstborn, which simply means the first in experience, the first in experience of death and resurrection and to live forever. The word in, in Greek there is prototokos. 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 The firstborn. You will die. We'll have to wait until Christ comes back to be resurrected. But he is the first one. He is the beginning of all things that have to do with new life. But also notice the latter part of verse 18. In his position of what he's done. In his position, he, in that, in all things, he may have the preeminence. We sing those songs, I think, uh, uh, somewhere, I don't know where they sing. Uh, whatever, whatever. Nina, nina, you say ni number two, no. Ni number three, no. Ni number nine, one. We have the preeminence. He may be placed there in high dignity, a place of exhortation. In terms of rank, incomparable, he is up there. Friends, the question I have, who is this man? You, you, you can think of any man. I think young boys and girls, I'm sure when you look at your dad, he does great things, he has done great things. Uh, daddy, mokai, wow. Wow, man. Remember, yes, a Sunday I gave an illustration to a friend called Moses, I got a wow, man. Just waiting about our crisis, there is only one Man, you can run to Jesus Christ. We used to sing a song a long time ago. Your brother will let you down. Your mother will let you down. Even your Mufundisi pastor will let you down. Or even the Pope will let you down. But Jesus, 
friends, who is this man in terms of position and power? Read with me verse 19. Who is this man? We read there, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. It pleased the Father. Remember last Lord's Day as we were here and I remember Nirenta Williams uh, referring to this at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and then a voice from heaven, Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. And it says, what did he say? This is beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so when Paul is simply quoting that and then putting it into a theological statement, he's saying, for it pleased the Father that in Christ Jesus all the fullness of God should dwell in him. Who is this man? He is God man in terms of his position, in terms of power. The whole God dwells in him. Number four, in relation to his work and mission, who is this man? And here I want to get closer to your heart and to my heart. We are told in verse 20, this man, he is the reconciler of the whole world. And that's what Paul writes, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. He is the reconciler. And not just all things. Listen what he says there. All things. Whether. Paul, Paul. Whether things on earth. Things out there above. In heaven. He is the reconciler. Who is this man? Now let me just put it simpler for the sake of those who might not be literate in terms of uh, the Bible, doctrine, and theology. When we see that he's a reconciler, it simply means there is enmity. It simply means you've been cut off from God. It simply means you are not right with God. So it's him who has been given this mission, this work, to reconcile the world to himself and back to the Father. Let's just turn to a passage of Scripture which will make it simpler. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there in verse 18. 
Again, here Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, all things are of God. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Who has reconciled us to himself. Now, listen. How has he reconciled us? Through Jesus Christ. That's how God has reconciled us to himself. It is through Jesus Christ. And how has he done it? He has given us this ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 19, he says, That is, that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. And that's what Paul is saying. Who is this man? He is the reconciler. So you cannot have peace with God unless you have Jesus Christ in your life. This man is the reconciler. It is through Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. Who is this man? Read with me verse 20, the second part of it. I'll be done soon. Listen, he's not just a reconciler. But he has made peace through the blood of his cross. He is also a peacemaker. Who is this man? He brings the true shalom. And the true complete shalom has to do you being at peace with God. At peace with your neighbor. At peace with all that God has created. We want to make the same thing that can consequence consequence Be at peace with God's creation, and also to be at peace with yourself. That's true shalom. He is the one who brings peace. Having made peace, how has he made that peace? Through his death. Who is this man? And if we're to go into details, how he has made this peace. Now, you know, turn with me to Romans. Maybe it will be easier for you to appreciate. Because here when I was preparing, I was just saying, I have not fully appreciated what you have done for me through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have made peace. Read how the Apostle Paul puts it, just for you to see and appreciate that this man is a reconciler, but he also brings peace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if when we were still enemies, let me pause there. If you are not a Christian, you are an enemy of God. You know, it's okay to be an enemy with, uh, with your fellow human being. Now, to be an enemy with God, to be an enemy with your creator, he will. Now, you have to Flee to him. Because in there, then, Paul tells us, through his death of his son. Now, maybe you are not seeing it. Just read verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man who one die. I don't know about you, whether you 
Young men, not to love Papa Cashana. You open up with a popali. You are full of popali. Ulemu be a switch dog. Tina for twenty, Tina for. Oh, Upane, you know, come with enough. Men, you will not will up. Scarcely will. <laughs> a righteous man who die for someone who is righteous. Now listen how he says, and yet, and yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. What Paul is simply saying, simply painting a picture at me, you know, it's not easy to die for anyone, even someone you love, maybe a righteous person, but this man, Jesus Christ, through God's love, this is how he demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Who is this man? He brings peace. And I'm saying true peace. Maybe right now your heart is troubled with so many things. Now I am a Baptist and a Reformed, but let me use a term which you might not believe. You, you have so many things that are troubling you. Things that are bothering you. Let me prophesy to you. Without Jesus Christ, you still remain troubled. You hear what I said? You try everything in this world. Is it money? Is it that kind of pleasure? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Whatever you are looking for, the truth of the matter, you're looking for Jesus. Because in your heart, you were created in the image of God. And so God placed something in you which will have a desire for him. Now because of sin, you start seeking and looking for things to fill that throne. You will never find peace in this world. You will never find true peace in this world. It is found in Him. And Him alone. Who is this man? Listen how the Apostle Paul encourages the church there at Colossae in verse 21. And he says, This man He says, and you, 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 now I'm speaking to you and to me. And you, the Colossians. You were once animated enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet, now he has reconciled you. I want to say something here. I'm drawing to a close. Uh, and I'm making my own applications here. Listen. This is how Paul concludes. Very, very sweet. He says, after having mentioned who is this man? Who is this man? He's God. Who is this man? He has such power. He's the creator. Who is this man? The very image of God dwells and the manifestation of God is in him. Who is this man? And he says, he's the reconciler. And you 
have experienced this. You, Jesus Christ reconciles real people. He reconciles real people. When I say real people, I mean, this is what I mean. These people are wicked. They are crooks. They are liars. They are morally corrupt. They are drunkards. Yes, they are womanizers. They are busy after chasing for so kinds of things. They are real people. That's why he says, you he has reconciled. And you may be here this morning thinking, me pastor, I will don't know. If I do, I you are the real person he wants to reconcile this morning with all the debt the skeletons in your wardrobe real people listen but you who were once alienated who were once cut off who were once separated who were once enemies you, he has reconciled. You. So maybe you're seated there, you think you're so wicked. Because uh, that's how he describes it. In your mind, by wicked works. But now he has reconciled you. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, let me just say something here. <coughs> the business of Jesus here on earth has not come for the righteous. But for such wicked, corrupt, and enemies. Real people. They are not just real people. They even know it themselves that I'm wicked. I'm wicked. He reconciles real people. And if you are here, you feel that you are wicked. And you know that you are corrupt. And you know that all your kinds of things that you do are contrary to God. Paul is saying, because of who this man is, is able to reconcile you to himself. Because that is his mission. So in relation to his mission, that's why Christ came. And this is what he says. I have a word to you, my dear brothers and sisters who are Christians. Listen, he says he has done this through the redemption, through the blood. But, but indeed, in verse 22, he, pres- he does something which, which, which should console you as a child of God. And for you who is not a Christian, this is what you should be looking forward to. It says... In the body of his flesh, through death. That's how he does the reconciliation. And this is what Christ's mission. Who is this man in terms of his mission? It is basically to present to you holy. To present you blameless. To present you above reproach. These words or these phrases to present to you holy, it means you are not holy. 
yet is at work in you. To present to you blameless is simply saying, today there are so many pots, short potholes and all kinds of things on your life and in your life. To present to you above reproach is simply saying, today there are things when you stand here, if you're so his job is to work in you, through you. Who is this man who has power to present to you, to present you one day before his sight, who will be holy, blameless, above reproach. Listen carefully. This is the transaction between the father and the son. It's the son who presents you holy. It's the son who presents you blameless. It's the son who presents you above reproach before the presence of his father. Can I say something? He will do it. Who is this man? And how is he going to do it? Let me just show you. Because of what he's telling them here. And I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to those of us who are Christians. Here at Riverside Chapel. Read verse 23. Don't just sit there and relax. And I'm happy you are reading, studying, contending and standing firm for the truth. This is what Paul is saying. If truly you're going to experience this experience of being presented holy and blameless and above reproach before the presence of the Father. Paul says, you must do something. And what he tells them is this. I've overshot by five minutes. Let me conclude. What he tells them is this. This is the way. And Paul is saying, investment according to my vision. If indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you remain grounded, if indeed you be steadfast, if indeed you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, Christ who come and truly work through you to present you before the Father. Blameless before the Father. Holy before the Father. Above reproach. But my dear brothers, this is our calling as children of God. If indeed we continue, we continue. There are two things what Paul does here as he concludes. There is an exhortation. And there is an invitation. If indeed we continue, we appreciate who this man is and what he has done. If we continue, we remain faithful. Not only to remain faithful, we are established. Not only established, but steadfast or committed and devoted to him. And looking to the hope of glory that he will bring us before the Father. That's the exhortation. For you and for me as Christians to continue to remain faithful, to be established, and to be committed, and to hold on to the hope of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to remain faithful, 
And here is the invitation. And I end with the invitation. Brethren, the invitation is simple. The Apostle Paul says there in the latter part, after having done all that thing, because of who this man is, Paul says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You can't help it. When you see this man called Jesus Christ, what he has done, who he is, who else would you want to minister? Your theme this year is saved. Saved in order to do what? To save. This man has saved you. This man has redeemed you. This man has reconciled you. This man is committed to make you be holy, blameless, above reproach. Paul says, no wonder. I, Paul, I offered myself. Yes, not willingly, but he arrested my heart. There's nothing I can do but to become a servant, a minister of this man called Jesus Christ. Who is this man? I know we do have servants at home. I know some of you save people, but you cannot have a master like him who is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator, the full image of God is him, the whole fullness of God. My invitation to you as I conclude, my dear brother, if you're a child of God, join the camp of the Apostle Paul to save this man, Jesus Christ. With all your gifts, your abilities, your talents, bring them in the house of God and save this man. And to you who is not a Christian, there's only one invitation I have for you. Look up to this man. He created you. You exist because of him. He has power over your, over your life. You will not find any peace and joy in this world. It's found only in this man. Come to Christ. Who is this man called Jesus Christ?